All right, welcome, Craig, to Thinking Man Business Labs, and thank you very much for joining us here, especially on a Saturday. I appreciate your time. I'm really sorry um, it had to be on a Saturday, but um, we're all busy during this COVID time, believe it or not. It's been, uh, it's been a crazy period for me. I'm not sure how it's been for you, so just, um, yeah, introduce yourself and let us know what you've been up to lately. Yeah, Pete, well, look, it's good to see you again. Obviously, we met quite some years ago, didn't we? We did, we did. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was happy to, uh, you know, connect again and have a little bit of a chat. So, uh, look, it's obviously been uh, busy, challenging times for everyone, um, some more than most. So, you know, we've been, I'm in a fortunate position in many respects, and I uh, respect that. Uh, and uh, so I've spent most of my time trying to help others who aren't as fortunate or able to, you know, get through this, um, you know, without additional help. There's many that society have left behind. Uh, there's many in society that, that uh, a proportion of society doesn't care about. Uh, and that's where I'm spending my time, not just to try and get help those people get through, but also then help to amplify that story of why Australia or other parts of the world, you know, are leaving these parts of society out. I don't believe it's right. And I think on the and the and the third part of this whole scenario is trying to get a sense for many people, I hope, about what a better world looks like on the other side and to ensure that we don't just, if you like, snap back into old ways of doing, old ways of living, old ways of treating people, but that this pandemic, as, all, as hor horrible as it is, uh, it's an opportunity to redefine um, and uh, perhaps re-establish what society should look like on the other side, and that has a whole range of implications. I think that's... That's so important, and I think we've all been talking about it. That society won't be won't be the same, regardless of what we do at the end of this. Um, and I think we'll look back on this as a tragedy in itself. No, no, there's no question about that. But also, kind some kind of blessing and some type type of reset for human humankind. I think. What do you What are your thoughts on that? Well, it should be. Yeah. Uh, but there's no doubt that that's going to be. A a uh, very significant challenge. So, um, because, you know, the, the world has become so deeply polarised uh, around issues that people can barely cross among those issues now lest they be uh, defined or depicted as being on the far right or on the far left or on the far this. Or, sure, sure. And so... All of the popular media and others now kind of work in that paradigm, uh, which I don't. I don't believe that's the best way to go, and I don't believe most people are in in that um, in that circumstance. You know, it's possible to want to see um, movement for climate change, or want to see better protections for vulnerable people in the community, and still be uh, in uh, you know an, an advocate of strong uh, economic interests and small business and these things yeah so that, that's one of the problems that we have as we emerge from this that polemic is going to start again at a really pro probably heightened intensity and volume and that's yeah. going to be um that's going to be sad but there are enough people around the world who want to see change that i'm hopeful it will happen and who do you think in your mind are probably the most susceptible to this sort of thing at the moment well, one of the problems we have is concentration of media. We certainly have that in Australia. So the messages 
are, are um, at least partly ideological and that's being dispelled to the majority of the population and that's not a democracy. So a democracy is about both freedom of speech but also freedom of, and access to information and mm -hmm. to accurate information. So journalism is one of the most important aspects, the fourth estate of holding governments and society accountable and holding a light to its inadequacies, which it's always had and, and quite likely will always have. Uh, and sadly, at the moment in Australia, you know, our, if you like, um, independent or so-called independent media uh, are falling by the wayside quite rapidly. So, you know, we had uh, just in recent days, BuzzFeed is, a, is a, an independent media group who, who uh, which, uh, you know, closed, closed their doors. Uh, and I know them quite well because they've done a lot of very good reporting in the refugee and asylum seeker space within Australia. We saw um, other media uh, organisations recently also close their doors. So what that does is that increases the concentration and that means we, don't, we can't possibly get the breadth of information and the accuracy of information that the public needs to make good decisions. Mm. So one of the things that has to happen on the back of this is a revitalization of truly independent media. And of course you see ABC is under constant attack from a whole number of governments over many years, but they've lost almost a billion dollars in funding in, uh, in the last uh, you know, half decade. Right. So you know, that's not appropriate for a country that wants an independent um, view uh, to be able to ensure that citizens are properly informed. Yes. When you then throw in social media and Facebook and, and misinformation, which has accelerated at an extraordinary rate, you know, you see Twitter bots, uh, you know, intervening now in democratic elections in US, and I understand that there's been some issues with them in Australia as well. When you see what's come out of the US, uh, where the lobby groups are so politically influential uh, and there's no scrutiny or limited scrutiny uh, as to, and we're seeing this now in Australia, there's limited scrutiny, at least one third of all political donations in Australia are unscrutinised uh, and unreported. Uh, according to information now, I think it is Melbourne University, I, met, I read a couple of days ago. So what that means is that democracy is about, uh, whilst it's representative democracy in Australia, uh, democracy is about having access to all of the information so that we can make informed choices about who we think are our best representatives. Yes. Uh, that's, not, that's not operating effectively in Australia or in many countries, certainly in the US, it's completely broken. But it's not operating effectively for us anymore at this point in time because the, uh, the uh, commercial and other interests uh, 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 have access to politicians across all levels of... of of political life um, that is um, that provides them the opportunity to influence decision making mm. either uh, overtly or covertly and what that means is that you know Australians are sitting predominantly around the country and are unaware of the influences being brought to bear on many of the decisions that are affecting us and the broader world and that's not democracy in its true sense and so I think one of the things out of this I hope anyway, comes, you know, a discussion around what occurred in the bushfires, discussion around what happened in COVID now, which Australia's got to a really great place. 
but how did we get there? What were the forces that made that happen? Uh, and, you know, was that about, um, you know, and, and, you know, we could have ended up in a very different place. So how can we um, ensure that the democratic process is going to be much more open and accountable? Yeah. And almost with all governments, this is all governments, but, you know, almost daily here in Australia now, you know, you hear about, um, um, you know, issues which come to light, um, which aren't fully scrutinised. And so I think it's right that, uh, you know, some MPs are calling for a um, federal anti-corruption commission uh, because that, that's one of the issues to come out of this. You see, a lack of democracy and authoritarianism on the other end of the scale was in part what has brought this uh, pandemic to the level that it's been because in China there is no freedom of speech. So when the first, um, you know, doctors found out about this and, um, you know, and talked about it publicly or on a Facebook, they were sanctioned, they were shut down, you know, they were often incarcerated and, and therefore, you know, there was almost 5 million people from that area who then went external and kind of carried it out. That's one reason why there's no doubt that the world uh, does need an independent review into what's occurred here. Of course, sure. there should be that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, really powerful forces are fighting that and are going to continue to do so. So it's all part of a bigger picture about, you know, people need to really consider, uh, you know, where the world is at right now. You know, we've got pollution in the oceans. You know, we've got um, rising global temperature. Uh, we've got, um, you know, many governments, yeah, who are struggling to... Um, the the, the, the um, democratic process is not effectively being able to deliver a transition from uh, an old energy system to a new one. Mm-hmm. And, and that's in part because of what we talked about. But secondly, it's, it's because of lack of access to accurate, detailed scientific information. So when, when, um, you, know, when you have a large concentration of media, if that media um, w- wants to support either side of an ideological table, then any country's in deep trouble. Yeah. Because it means that we're not getting accurate information. I think we see that we saw that during the bushfires. So one thing that should come out of this is um, is this concept of you know what is Australia doing with media? What is Australia doing with access to information to make sure that um, you know that, that everyone here is going to be safe? Everyone has the best opportunity uh, to do well. And by everyone, I mean all those sections of the population who aren't being looked after. Yeah, that's. I mean that's that's brilliant to hear, and I've just got I've got an interesting question for you. Now I don't have to answer it if if you don't want to, but I've always loved your type of journalism. You speak your mind. You sort of don't care about um, implications of whatever you say. You say what you want to say, and I I guess I've got a question: Is do you, do you think real journalism is sort of dead in this country where people can freely talk about what they want to talk about? Because I'm a film journalist that's coming out of uni. I finished. I want to change the world by saying the right things. Am I Am I beaten down pretty much by the system? Um, I think it certainly has fractured and uh, there's far less independent, strong, courageous journalism than what I believe we used to have some decades ago. And that is a natural corollary of the fact that you've got concentration of media and if you're going to work in certain media within Australia and around the world, that means you, you can't actually do that. You have to... And, you know, those people, in order to have a job, uh, they have to understand what is, if you like, um, 
you know, the corporate mind mm -hmm. and, you know, go along with that. And you saw some of those types of comments during uh, the bushfire commentary. Right. Uh, where, where, you know, this concept of, you know, I was reading from, I think, Queensland University, some, um, some papers about how this concept of arson was driven by certain sections of the media when it was just factually false. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, I mean, you know, Australians, you know, I mean, people must know that we're there because you have, if you like, people who are experts in that field, former um, commissioners of, you know, the fire service and, and people who have been in that industry for a very long time, uh, speaking factually, and yet you've got media organisations who are trying to take an alternate view uh, and actually attacking those people. Yes. So, so when media organisations start attacking people personally and trying to discredit them, I think, you know, all of us should then be able to say, well, uh, you know, there's, there's a problem there. Yes. So I think uh, media generally is, is in a really difficult place right now. And we're all, one of the problems that we have in the world right now, in my view, is we're all kind of struggling and searching for people that we can trust. Mm, I agree. Certainly 100%, 100%, I am. 100%. I mean, you, have all of the, you can't trust anything on Facebook. Mm -hmm. You can't trust it because, you know, we know that nefarious groups all around the world, um, including, you know, racist groups and, uh, you know, all of, all of these types of ones, you know, um, that they're working very hard on social media to proper, to undermine um, science, to undermine reason, to undermine this concept of expertise to, you know, sure. and they're working very hard for misinformation um, to, and to sow doubt uh, in the public mind, particularly around science and, and medical, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Expertise, not right? sure. Um, and they've done that very, very effectively. They're incredibly skilled at it. And um, and so you know, it's got to the point where it's really difficult, extremely. Difficult, and I'm in the media. And yes, of course. But it's extremely difficult to know who and what organisations are trustworthy. Mm. And it's very tough to know when you read something. A is it accurate? Mm -hmm. um, and B. Um, uh, you know, is it, you know, from what position is it coming? Yes. You yeah. know, well, so what are we missing? Mm -hmm. You know, so, and I had, I've, you know, every week you go through the process and it's draining. You know, yeah, I think it's I sad for the world. I'm talking about all of us. Yes. Um, you know, because when it comes to COVID-19 is a great example. COVID-19 was a massive ideological fight in the media and in the public domain for supremacy for messaging and information. That's what COVID-19 is. So uh, what you saw is in Australia, it was interesting because it came off the back of uh, the bushfires. So what we've had in Australia, in, in, in many countries, but in recent years is this, this uh, kind of, um, you know, this polemic and this misinformation campaign around climate science, okay? And it's been a highly organized effort around the world with very powerful commercial interests who are driving that obviously yeah sure and that feeds into the political process and that's where it comes to 
you know, this, this scrutiny and accountability on uh, political donations and, you know, and the ethics and um, accountability of the political system itself. And so um, what happened is, you know, Australia's been in this fight for quite a long time, probably 10 years, around attacking people who actually had done the work, had done the science and wanted to explain it. And, yeah. and they were attacked and alternative views were, were put against them. And, um, and so what happened is it came into the bushfires and that was still occurring. And, it's, and it, that model was just transferred straight across to the bushfire issue in particular when bushfires was linked to hotter climate and therefore climate change. And some good research saying that at that point, uh, you know, some of the misinformation campaigns, organisations, Twitter bots and these others started to engage themselves more actively at a very high level into the public domain to drive different concepts to, to kind of um, to provide a, um, you know, to, to kind of, um, what's the word, uh, you know, misdirection, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, to direct sense. people's attention, you know, in a different area, which mm -hmm. wasn't accurate. And yeah. so now others who, are, who may have their own agenda but are interested in more accurate reporting uh, and accurate information, uh, for instance, universities, Queensland University, now are much more skilled and, and, and they have tools in place, thankfully, where they can discriminate between... Uh, a truthful and, or at least question non-truthful, for instance, on Twitter accounts, yeah. they can discriminate, they can assess the load and the, the growth in, in new lines of thought and diversion. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, when all of these uh, bots or, or accounts are created quickly, have very small amounts, jump on and try and drive something in a particular area. And what's concerning is that most of the population won't be, you know, appraised of that research. Sure. So, you know, a large part of the population are still taking their information from these sites. So it's no surprise that, you know, science has been largely demonised, you know, so scientists are largely not listened to. That means when we came to COVID, health professionals and medical professionals were also going to struggle because they're not trusted anymore. Yes. The, the reason they're not trusted is because they've been put into that position unfairly. So what happened was interesting in COVID-19 was it seemed to me quite a, a, a robust um, a fight in the public space for this positioning and, and be able to uh, speak to the public. And Norman Swan, Dr. Norman Swan was... In, very powerful, very, very important, as was, um, you know, the former uh, fire commissioners who mm -hmm. wrote to the Prime Minister and then started to speak publicly. Very, very important in those moments. And uh, Dr Norman Swan's only one, but he was one uh, visible example of actually at that time providing very accurate um, uh, information, both from Australia and around the world, in a digestible form so that more of the public could understand quickly, could get a, get, could get a sense and make sense of what was going on. Sure. And that was important. So we've seen uh, in, in, in this period a little bit of a reversion to listening to people with expertise. They're not always right. Um, and he might, and he has to then go from, if you like, um, 
a kind of you know positive positivist responses which is just this is what the science says to normative which means norman you know is making some value judgments as well in the public domain about what he thinks should happen mm-hmm. and that may or may not you know we may or may not agree with that but what he was doing was interpreting the information for us in a predominantly accurate way which made it much much easier for um the public to be able to make decisions at a time when many don't trust the political process or necessarily politicians. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a really interesting, you know, so you, you talk about what's happening during COVID-19. These are some of the themes that are playing out mm-hmm. both in Australia and around the world. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a battleground for information. Now take Dr Swan, for instance. If Australia didn't have the ABC, where I think he did predominance of his work, I think he works for them anyway, but he, most of his, uh, you know, work and pronouncements were done through the ABC and then on his social media. But his social media only has resonance because of his position at the ABC. Sure. So if we didn't have the ABC during these recent two um, crises, then people like Dr Norman Swan would perhaps be in The Guardian which is becoming more widely read, which is positive because it's an alternate voice. Um, but they would struggle for public positioning. So, mm. And this is what we're talking about, concentration of media. So any democratic country, this is kind of you know, what I've been looking at you know, for the last couple of months, any democratic country must, as an absolute priority, make sure that, um, that the media is... Uh, sufficient in size, uh, sufficient in diversity, and that, you know, these types of voices are going to have a a platform. And ultimately what you want is the vast majority of media to be non-ideological, but that's probably not, um, that's probably not reasonable in today's world. So anyway, that's, that's kind of, you know, what, what the last couple of months have been about in my view. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's been coming for a long time in the, in the media where people have really struggled to find, trust or voices yep. that they can actually trust and when they read something do they actually trust this or do they trust the post from their mate on facebook or do they trust yep. somebody's post on linkedin there's so many mixed messages coming across that you just don't know who to trust do you trust your mate that's exactly. giving you a youtube link or not like that's exactly right and persuasion has taken a new form now persuasion now is in videos and social media you know it used to be through advertising and, you know, that has its own problems. But uh, persuasion today is highly sophisticated, highly sophisticated. And, of course, the algorithms are a real problem because what happens is, you know, the, the, the social media, Facebook's the, the, the prominent one, is, you know, they drive content. They do two things, to my understanding. They drive content to people that they know is going to be viewed and, uh, and so on. So that content then, secondly... Um, has to be controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite often, um, you know, it's it's kind of far out views, um, yeah. and it's packaged by these organisations in an incredibly sophisticated way. Like this is a science. This is an industry. Yeah. There's an industry, an unbelievably large industry around the world now, uh, which is packaging this misinformation. And you know, climate is the perfect example. And that's where the world is at now. And so it's really difficult to sift through. And what you said is right. People are looking for organisations where at least either journalists or people, 
that they can follow, and that's that's always a big challenge, or organisations which they know at least have the independence to hold their own journalists and other people accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. And they're very difficult to find, it very is. difficult to find around the world. It is. It's, 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 I think it's tough for everybody. It's confusing for the majority of the community in general. Um, I think we're as confused as ever when it comes to consumption of um, any type of media. We're, I think we're, we're as confused as ever, really, because we don't, like you said, don't know who to trust, don't know what the right messages are, don't know where their point of view is coming from, don't know what agenda people have, all that sort of stuff, right? And yeah, we've talked right. about it before. And like we said before we started, like this podcast isn't about having – it's unscripted. We didn't know what we're going, to, we're going to talk about. We didn't know where we're going to start. We're going to talk about football. We're going to talk about the days of the legend rules. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that. But we ended up in, in, in this little rabbit hole that we're, we're talking in now. But it's, it's, it needs to be said, I think. It needs to be spoken about. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not controversial. We're just yeah. talking about um, access to information. Mm. And, you know, you've saw, you know, one of the things that, you know, we need to make sure is when we talk about COVID-19 and China, that we're talking about China and the CCP. We're talking about, you know, the, 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 the Chinese party, the Chinese government. You know, we're not talking about Chinese people. That's right. That's, you know, and that's really important, particularly in Australia. We're seeing a lot of racism towards... Um, uh, uh, well, particularly Chinese Australians, and you know, and that's just patently stupid. Um, but some of it's been driven by people obviously who have that agenda because it's got it's nonsensical, mm-hmm. of course. Yes. Um, but if you know, if you if you have the agenda to drive whatever it is, I don't know, anti-immigration or drive racism or drive a certain ideology, then this is really your opportunity to attack Chinese Australians, Chinese Americans, Chinese Italians. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that, and unfortunately that feeds into a section of the population who resonate to those types of racist messages. And so it's not about the fact that it's stupid. It obviously is stupid, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, and it comes down to this concept of access to information. So the reason I talked about that is I think it's one of the really big themes to come out of COVID because that's the issue with China is complete control, you know, uh, social um a social index score, you know, your social score for people in terms of their day-to-day behaviour, you know, absolute oversight by government, absolute control of information, you know, centralised information sources um, and uh, censoring of international media, censoring of all of these various uh, social media tools. Um, and that censoring uh, was, is, was a key issue in the dissemination of COVID-19 mm-hmm. and so the world is now I think rightly saying well firstly you need an independent review not because it's anti- anti-China you need an independent review because the world is connected and COVID has demonstrated that we are connected to every country so yeah. if every country doesn't have freedom of speech freedom of information and human rights mm-hmm. right, and some type of democratic process then where is the next pandemic going to come from? Yeah, that's very okay. true. Yeah. And how is that pandemic then going to be stopped by Australia or others? Mm. So what COVID has demonstrated is that authoritarian regimes can never be open, they can never be transparent, they can never be accountable, and that puts the world at risk. Okay? Mm. So that's the problem. Um, so 
not only because can a pandemic like this disperse because you know there's no there's no truth there's no accurate information but it also means that other countries um, can um, can work in industries that are either illegal or immoral or unethical or sure. against human rights sure. and and then you can see these types of things happening as well is because the people can't hold their own government accountable to what they're doing. Yes. Okay. So, and there's a whole range of issues around there. It's why, why I think democracy, uh, true democracy is one of the big themes to come out of this COVID-19 and yeah. Australia and others are start. They're seeing, I'm seeing some good writing now around participatory democracy rather than representative because, um, once people are uh, represented or elected officials are going to, into an environment where people are having less and less trust that they're able to work independently, effectively, honestly, ethically, yes. uh, and against the major commercial interests who are now influencing through donations. So all of that is a is, is, is really challenging field because that's basically is going to determine where the world is going to be in 2030, 40 yeah. years time. Sure. And it sounds like it's, I mean, it's a challenging thing for you considering the work that you do uh, in the media. Um, and like I said, I wanted you on because I, I love the fact that, you know, you, you don't hold back. It doesn't matter what it is, whether you're talking about football, whether you're talking about politics, you're, you're not scared to say what you think, which is... Um, a rarity sort of these days and you're sort of not scared of implications which is which is fantastic and a credit to you i think oh well i, I don't know what the implications are but the thing is um you know we're just talking here about simple concepts about and about yeah. a better world afterwards this this discussion is about a better world after COVID. yes okay yeah. that's, that's what we're talking about that's what is the big theme here mm-hmm. um and of course there's going to be more pandemics so how does the world deal with pandemics in future because they're accelerating there's been seven pandemics this uh not of this scale but there's been mm. seven pandemics already in the 21st century we're only 20 years in sure so Australia, uh, and then you've got climate which is a global issue so climate and pandemics are the two issues which connect every human being on the planet and connect every country and no one is immune uh, and no one is immune from misinformation or censorship or lack of yes accountability and so that's why you know a lot, a lot of, of really clever people around the world are, are now rightly talking about you know what the world should look like afterwards and i think that's hugely positive otherwise yeah. the world is never going to be able to deal with this climate issue effectively because mm-hmm. of the politics but how do you how do you circumvent that how do you get you over know? that yeah so is it is that a people's movement or is that, you know, are, are people able to put enough uh, pressure on governments around the world to act appropriately? That's, that's, that's the discussion that has to be had. And the pandemic has crystallised a lot of that thinking for not just people who are in that space or in politics or in science, or, but it's crystallised and made it real for everyday Australians. Mm-hmm. Okay? The problem, as we said before, is... To everyday Australians, my message would be, well, don't direct your, your questioning or your anger or whatever it is. Uh, don't direct that to Chinese Australians. That's no. pointless. It's got no. nothing to do with it. Um, direct that questioning to what were the processes that, you know, political processes and societal processes and structures 
that enabled the world to be in this position with COVID-19. And if that's the case, um, then how do we measure that level of democracy all around the world, including in Australia? And where do we sit currently in, in, in terms of our, you know, our, uh, the, the purity of our own democracy in Australia? Sure. And I think there, there's, a, there's a, a democratic index around the world which talks about freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, um, you know, right to political views, right to religious views, these things. Uh, and Australia has sunk recently in that new um, report. Mm, right. Yeah. Interesting. For, for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, and, and people can take their own view on that, but they need to understand that is what has occurred. And so it's vitally important that Australians really think about, you know, in, an, in, a, in a new world, that they think about the, the, the strength of Australian democracy and the importance of that all around the world. Mm, excellent. Beautiful. Thank you very much for um, having a chat today. I'd be remiss if we don't talk a little bit about football towards the end. How's, um, how, how do you think it's going to re recover and how do you think that world's going to look after, after all this is done? This well, it's going to be different. Yeah. It's going to be very different. And so the economics are simply not going to be the same for a long time. Um, and, you know, that's, that's just reality. Um, in some ways, that might not be a bad thing um, because sport has, has been really polluted, you know, by commercial interests as well. Sure. And that, commercial interests are very important. Um, but, you know, there has to be a balance. Right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so sport is, I think, um, certainly global sport has become imbalanced and this is an opportunity to look at, you know, what are the values of sport? What is sport actually there to achieve? What should it be contributing? And, you know, the IOC was a really good example recently. Um, you know, the IOC is held up as an organisation, as is FIFA, um, and neither of them live up to that ideal. But, you know, they talk about supporting the world, giving to the world and all these things. And, um, and the IOC, of course, was one of the, I don't know if it was one of the last, but it was very tardy in deciding not to have the Olympics this year in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. So rather than immediately say, well, the health and well-being of the athletes, of the participants, because an athlete who trains in, an athlete who plays or competes in an Olympics is just a proxy for the hundreds of millions who play sport around the world. Sure, exactly okay. right. Yeah, so Leo Messi just represents all of us in the park playing. That's what they are. They're the same, it's just that they're the best. Yes, they, that's true. Yeah, and the fact they get paid for it, so what? They're just us, it's just that they were brilliant. Yeah. And so Olympic athletes are the same as everyone who's in little athletics every weekend. They're mm -hmm. the same the same people, it's just they, they are achieving they to that level. Mm. And so the way that you treat them it says everything about the way, you know, how you see, how you view, and how you treat all of the others. It's the same thing, yeah? And sport's forgotten that. So yeah. rather than immediately say, Thomas Bach saying, listen, well, the, the most important thing by far are the athletes, and so we are, you know, we're looking into, um, you know, medical advice immediately, and if we think that it's not completely safe for athletes, we'll call the Olympics off immediately. Mm. Sport is just not capable of doing that anymore because yeah. you've got major commercial interests 
You've got, you know, obviously Japan wanting it to continue to go on, which is its own issue. But it's the sporting governing bodies that are beholden to protect those who play the sports. Like that's one of your prime, that's actually a prime job. Yeah, yeah, true. Your prime job is to protect everyone playing. 100%. Okay? Your prime job is not to make money. No. Um, and what's happened is the money has overridden the people actually playing the games. Yeah. And we saw that. The best example is Hakeem because uh, the politics and money in football were, were, were light years more important than Hakeem's life. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they, it wasn't, you know, it's not even on the same, it's not even in the same galaxy, right? And that's why it necessitated a, a global campaign, mm-hmm. whereas it shouldn't have necessitated a global campaign. It should be, well, that, you know, that is a player. He's playing our sport and, you know, and they're in trouble. So... In those very two two very good examples that I hope people will reflect on, you know, people in positions of influence, not inside the sports, but outside who can influence. I don't expect those in sports to make the change. Change yeah. usually doesn't come that way. Sure. Because they have to be elected to those boards. And in order to be elected, they have to be part of the system. That's just the way it is. Yeah. That's why many of the best people can't go through that process. Mm. Because they just can't play by those rules, because that's right. not, you know, because they don't believe that's what sport is about. So you've got, you know, and so how can we bring sport back into some better balance mm. um, and get some principles around sport as to what it actually means and stands for, and where commerce, you know, and where economics fit in, rather than economics running everything and then everyone else has to fit in underneath, and their interests are you know, subjugated to money. That's where we're at at the moment. Sure, yeah. So that's 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 the reality for sport and that's going to be a good discussion. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, unless you've got some final words for no, Ryan, right. mate, mate, it's been great having you on. I appreciate it. Right. Good to see you again. And, yeah, you um, I'm, We'll see each other again very shortly and, and no thanks for being on Business Ad, Thinking Man Business Ad. I really appreciate it. Nice no chat. Worries. Great to talk, mate. Okay, no mate. Worries. See you, mate. Bye-bye.